What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today we are talking about Season 1, Episode 12, Battle Lines. A, uh, an episode that not everyone is going to survive. Mike, how you doing? I'm feeling good, Keith. It's it's not it's not a Keith and Mike watch unless we go through some terrible technical troubles, which will continue in perpetuity. But I'm excited because I uh, I can never remember for some reason when I'm watching the episodes, I always think that you said that an episode was not well received, and then I watch it and I kind of like it. So uh, and then I found and and when I discover a guest star in real time because I don't have the IMDb oh yeah. Up, Oh, I just had a great time with this week's episode, so I'm excited to talk about it with you. And uh, yeah, that's all. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited because I don't. I did not watch your watch along, uh, which is available to the patrons. We'll talk about that later uh, this week. So I have no idea what you thought of this episode, and I have so many questions and so many things that I am curious to find out. So uh, yeah, battle lines, and uh, yes, very important guest star. Mm-hmm. Big big time guest star. We didn't know it then, but we certainly know it now. So, uh, in fact, I think this is a perfect opportunity to maybe uh, talk about how people could watch you watch an episode, Mike. Oh, that's a great segue, Keith. Mm. Um, I invite you all to first like and subscribe to the channel if you haven't mm. already. And if you have already, do us a bigger favor. Go ahead and throw a thumbs up on this video and then share it with somebody. Put it on your social media feed. Uh, or don't do any of those things and just go to patreon.com slash K and M and sign up for one of our tiers. Uh, we're working on bonus content. We've got an AMA in the works. We just posted a very, very fun uh, watch along of a lost episode of The Next mm. Generation. So if you're a fan yeah. of the Trekverse, you definitely want to check that out. And uh, your donations also continuing donations i feel like pbs now keith except much less uh, <laughs> there important. is no tote bag in your future yeah. just so uh, you know but you can get 17 dvds of this show <laughs> <laughs> uh, you 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 become a you become a producer on the channel and that really is important and it really does help keith and i because it turns out there are yeah. costs associated with creating youtube content who knew this who knew who knew but i can tell you who's helping us uh, Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, Cloud Number 69, Jorge Navoa, and the mysterious Alan Zimmerman, CRM Productions, and Charles Babbage. We thank you very much for your support. Check him out at patreon.com slash K and M spell out that and. Uh, yeah, so, uh, and in terms of the liking and subscribing, uh, that myster- that mysterious lost episode of Star Trek The Next Generation will be dropping into the YouTube feeds once we hit 500 subscribers. So if you are not a patron and you haven't seen it yet, uh, you know, sign up your cat for YouTube. Uh, my cat here just has a smelly butt. It just walked right by me, and it's not it's not good. I'm going to have to deal with that later. So you know, long-haired I, cats, I've they're put, amazing. I've but- put my... Uh, money where my my content mouth is and recently mm. i've gone through all of the podcasts that uh, i really really appreciate and the youtube channels that i watch on the daily and i've checked out to see if they have patrons patreons and have gone and you know put put a little bit of <laughs> extra income i've got towards that because it, it is kind of the way we're, we're doing things now and uh, we appreciate mm. your support i want to spend too much time on it but we we, we always no. we always say thanks 
No, for sure. We very, very much appreciate it. So, let us talk about Deep Space Nine. What do you say? Let's talk about Battle Lines. This is Season 1, Episode 12, which aired on April 25th, the year 1993. The top song continued to be, and uh, Mike, I I look forward to Mike's version of this every single week. It's Informer by Informer. Snow. Do you want to know how to get canceled on the internet? Just say, hey, boom, boom, now. Yes, indeed. I just realized we're both wearing green shirts. So we must have our blue screens up. We must have. <laughs> that is how you can tell whether it's a blue or green screen behind us. Uh, but, I, you know, I believe you bought me this shirt. Did you not? Which one is it? The Taco Cat shirt. Mm, I wish I could take credit for a gift, but I don't believe it was me. All right. Well, then never mind. Uh and uh, if you were, you know, giving me a shirt, I would be afraid that you were about to make an indecent proposal, which is oh. our top movie for the second week. So I don't good. fear that I would do that. <laughs> Neither do I. And uh, the New York Times headline talked about amid setback, Clinton team seeks to shake off the blues. Now, uh, this was the first couple of years of the Clinton administration, and if you remember, the uh, first couple of years were uh, kind of a mess yeah. before they sort of turned things around and got stuff going, and then it got exciting, uh, but uh, that was definitely the narrative at that point was the administration was a mess because they were sort of disorganized and not great at, uh, it, it, you know, the, the times have changed. You know the the bar has been has been lowered just to just a hair on what yeah. qualifies as a mess in the White House. Speaking of so, 1993, as an yes. aside, and we maybe get a report next week. CEO Jen, who is my wife and uh, I guess former CEO. I don't know. It's hard to keep all the plot lines. Well, she for the was new CEO show. of of Out of Practice Podcast. I right. don't know what her I don't official even think she designation to this is. One, so I have to convert her over to the DS9 show. That's true. Anyway, she's going back to 1993-ish today. She's going to see a concert she's seeing. You ready for this? It's like, uh-huh. it might be, uh, it's New Kids on the Block. Actually, that might be 80s. Oh, hell this yeah. This is pre. New Kids on the Block, uh, Salt and Peppa, Rick A's, uh, Rick, uh, Rick Roll, Never Gonna Give You Up. Uh, mm-hmm. She's really going mm-hmm. for it tonight. So uh, I guess that's the 80s. So this is a terrible that's segment. tonight? Yeah. No, but that's... No, but we were still listening to it in 1993. Right. That's that's fine. That's fine. All right. So uh, let us talk about the darn episode. So A Battle Lines was directed by Paul Lynch. And this is the fifth episode of Deep Space Nine that he has directed in out of 12. Wow. But this is the last episode he will direct in all of Star Trek. And we're going to talk a little bit about why. Okay. In the trivial trivia section. And it was written by Hilary Bader, who did five or four episodes of Deep Space Nine, three episodes of Next Generation, and one episode of Voyager, with a teleplay by Richard Dennis, who did eight episodes of Next Gen and two of Deep Space Nine, and Evan Summers, who did three episodes of Deep Space Nine and one of Voyager. So now What's, it is where time. does Voyager fall in the sort of in the timeline? Oh, yes. Well, Voyager happens... So you know how Deep Space Nine and Next Generation overlapped by a couple of years. And uh, it's the same thing with Voyager and Deep Space Nine. So Voyager started 
in the last couple seasons of Deep Space Nine, they spun it off. So at that point, they were always trying to have one at one series replacing the next series overlapping by okay. a season or two. Uh, so we're still a couple of years away from Voyager. I believe it was 97 that Voyager began. Um, so, Which is why there's a lot of overlap with the directors and writers, because it was one continuous stream from uh, Next Generation all the way through Enterprise. And okay, then, then they sense. took a long break. That makes sense. So uh, now it is time for uh, maybe some trivia. That's maybe a little trivial. What do you say? Now Keith, waste your time with Trivial Trivia. You know, a little peel behind the curtain here. I feel like the my cat just pooped directly on my desk. It smells so bad, but I can't figure out where it is. I, I don't know what the cat did. Charlie, buddy, I love you. You're on the show. You're an important part of the K&M Enterprise. But my goodness, it is hard to focus with whatever is wafting from my uh, loving cat. So anyway, so that, that if you can tell that I'm a little bit like, oh, oh, ah, well, it's Kate, not the episode. Nine it's out not of ten you, Mike. cat lovers would attest that. Yeah, I think it's the fancy feast. I think you got to go it, to maybe like a normal person, not give him Big Macs all the time. Isn't fancy feast no, basically fancy cat feast. Big Mac? Mm, it's but what his fancy feast? It's a treat at mm. the beginning and the end of the day. That is not his main food source. He has okay. very expensive hypoallergenic dry food. I'm which just is saying, if you had if you had a double cheeseburger with extra cheese as your morning and evening treat, you'd probably be mm-hmm. uh, stinking up the internet too. Although you or can do I, that without. I, I, I mean, I basically just look like I do right now. <laughs> that tell, would me be about the my life. tell me about the episode. Come on. Okay, so here are some pieces of trivia about this episode. Number one, the weapon designer was the weapon design was done by Tom Morga, and uh, most of the weapons we saw are made of a cardboard blade, a ball, and a tool handle. So there was a lot of sort of kit bashing of real life to create all of the weapons that we see on the show, which is, you know, it's so funny because we think about these, uh, it's set in the future and they've got these huge budgets, but so many of the effects and the tools and the whatever are just stuff they had lying around and uh, they come up with a creative way to use it, Uh, especially a lot of the original series props. It's just stuff they had kicking around um, that is adapted, which is... uh, Interesting. I love the sort of creativity of it. So in this episode's story, we have the two sides battling in perpetuity on this moon, and the original concept was to use humans and Cardassians as the two sides of the battle, um, but they ended up changing that because they didn't want uh, our heroes sort of taking sides and wanted to make it more about the concept as opposed to uh, continuing a, a longer storyline on the show. So here's what I found very interesting about uh, director Paul Lynch and why this was his last episode of Star Trek that he ever directed. Because uh, he did not direct the first two days of the shoot because he handed it off to stunt coordinator Dennis Madalone to direct the first two days of shooting because it was mostly action, mostly fighting and pew-pew. Mm-hmm. And uh, producer Rick Berman was like, 
what the hell? Why didn't you uh, direct the episode? And uh, thought it was a dereliction of duty to not direct two days of the uh, shoot. So um, that is why Paul Lynch was not used again as a director, despite having done uh, five of them. What happened to you? And I don't know. I'm over in the corner now. Oh, I am. I'm big again. We're having all kinds of issues. So what else is new? So what else is new? Uh, but let me tell you who's uh, who's new to the show this week. Our guest stars. So we have Paul Collins as Jelanko, Camille Saviola back as Kai Opaka. So we have from, seen her, right? I couldn't. That was my whole big. She thing. was in I, the I was pilot. Like, yes. Yeah. She was. Kai, she was. She was. Kai, she's the one who told Cisco that he's a prophet. Right. And uh, I knew. And I knew. So her. She, I knew. I knew. She's. Her. She's the Bajoran Pope that we met in the pilot. Very important. And here it is. It's Jonathan Banks as Shala, who, of course, from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and many other things, including Gremlins. Did you know that Jonathan Banks is in Gremlins? I haven't seen Gremlins in so long. I have to go revisit that. You definitely should. It's super, super fun. And uh, guilty pleasure, Gremlins 2 is absolutely bananas. This just in... Keith, much like Charlie, if you feed gremlins after midnight, they also mm. stink up the joint. They do stink up the joint. Uh, but yeah, definitely go go see Gremlins too. There's 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 a there's a Trump character in it. It's it's it all the whole world comes all together. So uh all right, so let us move forward. And what do you say we go into the viewing room and talk about this episode, Mike? I can't wait. For that. All right. Do we that, do we have an amazing transition for that? We just might, and it might go something a little like this. All right, we did it. We are here in the viewing, the screening room, the K&M screening room. I mean, the the budget it took to build this was extraordinary. Really, really impressive. So in our teaser, and uh, (laughs) Charlie is now coming across my desk. You're probably going to see him leap past the camera. There he goes. (laughs) Now just told my computer to print things. So my goodness, it's it's chaos today. It's chaos. So uh, in the teaser, there is a meeting in Cisco's office. O'Brien and Dax have found some personal logs and information on Bajoran terrorists that were left by the Cardassians intentionally stashed on the computers before they left. They include information on Kira. Uh-oh. And she is furious to discover that she is referred to as a minor operative whose activities included running errands for the terrorist leaders. Wow. So uh, Kira was not happy about this. But it's a very interesting way to sort of begin the episode with a little bit of important backstory. And fire her up a little bit, right? Yeah, well, and fire her up. And also, it, it's it's interesting because it's 1993 – that uh, the the use of the word terrorist is not so scary at this point, yeah. um, you know. And she, and it, it, it was more 
in the traditional use of it. But she's she want to see her be offended that she was not seen as more of a threat than she was. And you wonder, like, we know it was probably Gal Dukat who left these files there intentionally. Uh, was Gal Dukat doing that on purpose to piss her off? Or what What was the purpose of leaving this information on the computer? Uh, to be explored later, Mike. It does set up one of my favorite lines of the whole episode that Ben gets to deliver in, in mere moments. Okay, well, uh, let's see if I wrote it down. I probably didn't. Bashir calls from Airlock 14, and he announces that, holy crap, Kai Opaka has arrived on the station and is asking for a tour. Uh, So, Kai Opaka, as you remember, is sort of the Bajoran religious leader. She's the the Bajoran pope. She's very important. She's very beloved. Uh, Kira and Sisko go to meet the Kai. Well, that's the line where he invites her. He's like, "Uh, if you've got... Just a moment to feeling offended. Would you like to join me to see if, if you can give up your? I can't. I'm quoting it terribly, but he has a good line there. <laughs> Watch the episode. It was, yeah. Well, and obviously we're establishing here how important the Kai is to Kira. Uh, you know, Kira's character, and we're going to explore this a lot as we move forward. Her her faith and her religion is very important to her and to her identity. And so it's a really big deal to meet the Kai. Um, so uh, it's it's an interesting storyline here. I actually really like this part of it. And, you know, in Star Trek, we haven't really explored religion and faith very much. Um, certainly you don't see it on Next Generation. And certainly on the original series, none of the uh, main characters have sort of a religious faith that it's it's sort of more scientific and um and so to have one of your main characters be so tied to this it's a very interesting exploration that deep space nine does that most of this other series don't um anyway so uh kira and cisco go to meet the kai kira is super pumped the kai we find out has never left bajor before and she's troubled but she invites herself on a trip through the wormhole, uh, which I I thought was very interesting because not and only has she go ahead the way she sets it up the way they set it up is really clever I think because you know they they the whole plot point is that there's nothing there's unfortunately I'm I, we're so happy you're here and you're so blown away by the wormhole but there's no transport to Interal today so probably nothing to see here and she's like what a shame just just pregnant yeah. pause and he's like okay we're going through the wormhole. I, and I I really like that. I actually wrote down here. You don't need to say it. it's all subtext. It's mm-hmm. cool. Like it was. It well, was the other very... thing they do, which I think is really cool, is obviously we've come to learn, and we come to learn early in the episode how important she is, how respected she is, the Kai, and also how important she is to Kira. But another clever thing they do, which also services the plot later, is that the Doctor isn't invited on the little tour. Right? It's just Ben and Kira, but the Doctor shows a lot he really wants to be on the tour with them showing that like just being in the presence of this person how how respected she is not just to uh, bajorans but to to all yeah no totally and it's it it is sort of like you know uh it is like the pope it's a and especially like a a a positive pope that people a a liked pope that even if you're not of that faith you'd be like yeah man i'd love to hang out with the pope and i'm sure that would be very interesting so um, 
So they head off in a runabout, and we head for the credits without really setting up much of a story. Uh, but before they do, uh, they run into O'Brien at the airlock, and the Kai gives Molly, O'Brien and Keiko's daughter, a necklace. Uh, nothing foreshadowy to see here. No. No. Um, but uh, but interesting, and we and we see that the Kai is able to sort of intuit that O'Brien has a has a daughter. And uh, and hands off the necklace. So that that's you know eh, something to keep an eye on. So in Act One, the four of them head into the wormhole. Zoom zoom. They arrive on the other side, and the Kai is pumped. Uh, cool. I think I still think for I mean 1993, the effects are cool. So cool. I mean and. Again, the 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 runabout looks so good because it's a practical thing. They, you know, it's it's not digital. It's at, at this because we're going to transition to digital during the series, mm-hmm. um, and it's going to be good. But I think these these practical physical props just look so darn good. The front half of this episode is so close up heavy. It was hard to like grab screenshots because it's just super close ups of basically her face. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it's because the runabout set's pretty darn small, <laughs> so they they don't have a they can't really zoom out much because they're on a little shuttle. So uh, they go through the wormhole, and the Kai says, "Hey, uh, we should maybe stick around as opposed to go right home because prophecy." Yeah, and she has. Uh, I thought she was going to pull out a hammer and just hit us in the face with it, uh, but you know, with with prophecy with with, with a prof- prophecy like. Something the, clearly the, is supposed to happen, and we're waiting for it. Yes, yes. Well, you know, we, we get it. Not everything can be done in beautiful subtext. Yes. And uh, surprise, surprise, of course, they pick up a narrowband subspace signal. And uh, Opaka's like, let's go check it out. And they're like, that's a terrible idea, but we can't, we kind of can't say no to the guy, right? Yeah, Pope. And uh, they arrive at a moon. And they discover on the moon there is a network of artificial satellites in orbit. And there are life forms on the moon. Humanoid life forms. Um, so, cool. Artificial satellite network around the moon. That's interesting. Yeah, all right. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, and the, and the digital graphics they did here on the display. Like, that's pretty good for 1993. Yeah, dude. You got a thermometer on the left. Know what temperature it is. Right, yeah. You, <laughs> no. you got basically you got some like you know like lines and circles around them. It's awesome. It's scan analysis twenty one eighty sixty six. Yeah. See. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can actually this is a really good screenshot here because you can see in the production side how they're doing this because on the left hand side it what Mike thinks is a thermometer which of course it's not it's the all cars panel which is in. Practically, it's just a plastic sheet with light mm-hmm. through it. It's like a gel. And then underneath that, there's an actual CRT computer monitor displaying the graphics that they have done. And so you have a mixture of the practical and the digital there. But this is all in shot, right? And this, none of this is green screen. Yeah, which I think, is, I think is probably, I would assume, very helpful for the actors. Because you would probably cheaper to green screen it, but then you don't have anything to play with on set. So... I imagine it's helpful when you're yeah. beeping and booping to actually be looking at or touching something. Yeah, and you can see in this the you have the CRT monitor and then glass over it to make it a, a clean 
thing, but it's sort of built into the background there um, because they didn't have flat screen touchscreen. Well, we'll see that on the Enterprise, um, which actually weirdly dated it more than this. Anyway, so uh, blah, 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 tech, 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 tech. Um, they get closer to the moon, and one of the satellites fires on them. The Kai, uh, oh yeah, so they, they get fired on, they get, uh, they get zapped. The Kai may be a great Kai, but she sucks at fake shaking. Yeah. Because everybody else is, like, shaking this way, and she's like... I think her costume looks a little top-heavy. Pope outfits are a little top-heavy, so you got to be careful. That's true. She she weebles and she wobbles, but she doesn't fall down. Yet. Yet. So we have a... We crash land, which is fun. There's lots of smoke shaking and technobabble. They crash land on the moon. Um, which is uh, which is fun. This is the first time we've crash landed on Deep Space Nine. First time we've destroyed one of our runabouts. And it looks like a new practical set too. It's like not quite the cavern set that we've seen before, but but sort of. Well, I'll tell you, it's on the same stage. So this is all uh, this <laughs> they uh, wrote down. The moon is dark and looks an awful lot like Paramount Stage Eighteen. <laughs> Which is uh, what they called Planet Hell, which is where they had all of the away team thingies. So, yeah, it's it's basically, my understanding is they have the sort of the cave set, and then they have this open set, and they're sort of connected to each other. Um, and they're constantly redressing it and doing this stuff. But, uh, but yeah, it's roughly the same thing. <laughs> um, and uh, Cisco and Bashir pull the Kai out of the wreckage. And, uh, oh shit. She's dead, and Kira is distraught. So, so that's here's, ca- and here's yeah. a here's something I thought about. We talk about this on our other show. Uh, Keith and I both, at some currently or in the past, at some point in our lives, are or were actors, and so it's hard not to like try to put yourself into various situations. Um, and often on set or on in in a show or in a movie for highly dramatic scenes. You hear the you hear the the soaring score the 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 visuals are close and tight and you can feel that emotion. But when you're on a set, there's none of that. There's no sound. There's about forty people watching you. There's a camera in your face. It's very difficult. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself: Imagine you're on this set, which it looks great, but is like a little hokey, right? And right. you're you're in like prosthetic. You're the person you're that is dead is in prosthetic and. There's all these people around, and I'm like, I would feel like such an idiot trying to, like, yeah. work up to that. And so huge points to Kira here for, like, she wasn't phoning it in in this episode. They were like, we need you to bring it to 11, and she was she did 11. Yeah. No, Nana Visitor. And, you know, it's it's all of what you said, but it's also – if you're doing a play or you're doing a musical on stage, you're going through the journey of that. We're on the ship, and then this happens, and this happens, and that, and and so you you at least have some momentum storytelling wise. They probably had to set up for for you know two hours, and well, then yeah, it's probably its own day, and they she's just might have sitting shot there like she's like eating a bagel, and then like boom, Pope mm-hmm. dies. Yep. <laughs> it's this huge thing. Um, yeah, so Nena Visitor does a, a remarkable performance in this episode. Uh, but uh, but before we are able to mourn the Kai too much, a whole bunch of extras from Mad Max show up <laughs> and look menacing. Uh-oh. And that is the end of Act 1. 
Uh, yeah. So, so what what are you feeling here, Mike? At this point in the episode? Uh, well, yeah, a lot, a lot of great questions, right? Uh, we got a big death, so we think, and we've got these people who clearly seem like at this point it's set up to me like they've set they set the trap. I don't know if they were mm. attempting to, to to draw somebody in or you know what's the what. Uh, so we don't know at this point, but we got a good hey a good setup. Somebody dies in the first act. We got potential bad guys. We got our good guys uh, isolated from the other good guys. We got a good episode to brew in. Yeah. Well, and trapped, and, and keep in mind, they're in a different quadrant. Oh, wait, they're through the wormhole, baby. They're through the wormhole. So lots of stuff going on here. That's great. So in Act 2, back on the station, Odo, O'Brien, and Dax are worried that our heroes are missing. Yeah, they're texting them, and nobody's texting back. It's That's just dots. Right. No, it's the bubbles on the dots, man. The bubbles on the dots. They don't even get a red. Don't even get like the passive aggressive thumbs up. Odo's like, Nothing. all I got is this. Like, oh, I got an iPad. Nobody's texting me either. <laughs> you got fli- two flip phones and an iPad. <laughs> exactly. And of course, like, so those are tricorders, right? And and they're designed for like investigating things. But what are they using the tricorders for? looking for text back from the gamma quadrant that it, it now that i look at the screenshot it makes no sense they'd be talking to the computer what what are they tricording what are they scanning no it clear this screenshot looks like odo and dax are texting about odo and he's like i'm right here they're talking <laughs> exactly. shit and he's like i'm right here <laughs> that's 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 exactly right uh so yeah that's weird why why are they using tricorders uh Somebody, somebody smarter than me, and there are so many people who are smarter than me who leave comments on here, which I really appreciate. Explain that to me, or was that just a, an oversight? Uh, because somebody didn't know what the tricorder is. Actually, did. someone uh, made a comment the other day, I don't have the specifics, but about a book, kind of a compendium, a Deep Space Nine compendium book. Mm. I'm absolutely going to pick that up. Yeah, we should definitely get that. Yeah. Uh, but, but you're not allowed to read too far into it, because there's going to be so many spoilers. No, 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 just like episode to episode. It's one of those. I have that. For, oh. This is ridiculous. I have a compendium for episode by episode guide for the Golden Girls, which I have gone through three to four times. Of course. Of course. Yeah, that's that's great. Like, uh, it's great bathroom reading. All right. So <laughs> anyway, so naturally, the Bajorans are very upset about their missing pope. O'Brien says they found a warp eddy and they're going to go looking. Uh, so they are off looking for our heroes. I suspect Warp Eddie's going to show up at, in a trivia challenge, and I, I really never quite grasped what an Eddie is. Ah, well, we will certainly look forward to that later. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. So back on the moon, Cisco, Bashir, and Kira meet Mike from Breaking Bad, who is the leader of the Mad Max Extras. Uh, Mike... Allah Shayla is his name, is the leader of the Ennis. And he makes a reference to this all being a vague punishment. Um, so uh I'm I'm sure. I, I have to go back and watch the watch along from when you realized that Mike was on the show. Yeah. It's it's Mike for Breaking Bad. That's how that's how it went, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So uh, Kira doubles over, and Bashir rushes to treat her. Uh, and we get some exposition here. We find out that the Ennis are at war with the Knoll Ennis, in that the moon that they are on is a prison. 
Uh, then uh, we head back, and, and then a visitor gives us a great single tear mourning the Kai. Uh, so Shayla, Mike, offers to protect them if Bashir... There it is. There's our single tear. I mean, yeah, Nana Visitor's performance in this is great. Yeah, and you think that's going to be the arc for her. But then there's a whole secondary arc, and her performance goes into this whole second tier. She's, man, we don't hand out Best Actor, but she'd get that oopsie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she definitely would. So, uh... As Bashir is treating folks, Shayla offers to protect them if Bashir helps treat their wounded. Then, of course, an attack starts. See, Keith, and, yeah. put a pin on that, because that's my first wormhole for the episode. Okay, all right. Well, you're going to have to put a pin on it yourself, because I'm not taking any more notes. <laughs> Watching you attempt to navigate what you're, like, the multitask you do during this show is one of my favorite things. Oh, I will have you know. I have three computer monitors I know. and I'm, a I'm laptop and a phone happening at this time. All of my work happens like before the show. So once yeah. we're in the recording, it's it's easy breezy. So watching you try to like talk to me in real time, read your screen in real time, and also keep up with the screenshots really, really makes me laugh. So I'm running the screenshots on my laptop on OBS. I have I'm checking to make sure that Pro Tools is recording the sound correctly. I've got the soundboard for the sound effects. I've got all my notes up, and then I've got this I've got the monitor of like what we're actually outputting here and trying to reference the camera, which is down center, and mix the audio. We should discuss why it is I don't run the screenshots. I don't know why you don't run the screenshots. I think it was just me being a control freak. I but think you you probably have a better flow, like understanding of the narrative arc of the episode than I do, but I don't know. Let's continue. Nobody cares. Yeah, maybe you should run the screenshots. I should Because I, I thought it would be easier because because I have the I have the notes here. I'm telling the story and trying to sync it up, but probably it's better if you do it. Oh, you just made yourself more work. Uh, where was I? So, oh yeah, the attack starts. And uh, despite Shella saying they stopped using energy weapons years ago, they all immediately start using energy weapons. Pew pew and a bunch of folks die. So this is... Uh, the first of many of uh, these big fight scenes, and this is where uh, I think our, our director got fired because he wasn't here while they were shooting all of these pew-pew fight scenes. And, yeah, these, um, and these fight scenes, you'd think they know what their strengths and weaknesses are as far as, like, choreography and stuff. So you'd think they'd be short little scenes, you know, just, like, show the pew-pews and then be done, but no, they're extended. No, I, I mean... Well, that's because you handed over two days to the stunt coordinator to shoot this. I mean, stunt coordinator's going to stunt coordinate. I mean, that's that's what you're there for. It's fun. You got all these stunt actors. Like, let's blow some shit up, right? That's fun. That's what I would do. Uh, and uh, if once we hit 500 subscribers, you can see some of my stunts performed in the mysterious lost episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, stunts I performed with my little brother in my basement in 1992. So you know you want to see that. Make sure your cat signs up for YouTube. Get your mom to subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, She won't watch, but it doesn't matter. We just want to hit the 500 subscribers. Anyway, so after all of the pew-pew, out of the shadows comes, holy crap, it's Kaiopaka! She is alive. You know what's so, funny was I, I thought I found this funny. 
they they shoot it in shadow and smoke, so you're supposed to, there's I, my guess is that they want you to be like, who is it? Who could it be? But it's mm-hmm. it's clearly her. I mean, she's dressed like Whoopi Goldberg in Nonsense. That's you can't mistake who that is. No, it's it's true. I mean, and uh, Whoopi Goldberg in Nonsense or Next Generation is going to have an iconic hat. Did I say Nonsense? You did say Nonsense. I definitely you meant, meant yeah. Sister Back in act. the habit. Sister Act. Oh my God. Oh, happy day. Okay. <laughs> Nonsense. No, uh, Sister Act 2 is one mm-hmm. of the best, worst movies I've ever seen. Okay. I God, I haven't seen... I mean, I've seen the, the Broadway show, but I haven't seen... Uh... Go back. I'll revisit Gremlins 2. You revisit Sister Act 2, and we'll meet up. Oh, man. I think I watched it at my grandparents' house, like, right when it came out on VHS. Ooh, talk about 90s. It's all about, like, 90s hip-hop, but it's just white people doing it? Oh, wow. Great, great. That's nothing awkward about that. Okay, so uh, Act 3 begins, and, uh, hey, you know what the guys find now? Everybody is confused, and Bashir explains that her physiology has been altered. There is some sort of biomechanical thing controlling her at the cellular level. Man, these tricorders, get me one of those, because it knows everything. I know, and you can text about Odo behind his back. <laughs> so useful. Uh, then Kai and Kira see the dead Ennis folks waking up and starting, uh, waking up after being dead, starting right here in this screenshot with regular Trek background actor and stunt performer Patricia, Patricia Tolman, who, uh, if you uh, if you watch our channel... We showed a custom figure of one of the uh, Next Generation characters that Patricia, Patricia Tolman has played. Uh, she has done a gazillion different parts. You can see her everywhere on Star Trek. So uh, that's happening. Why are they waking up? That's weird. We don't know. Mike, and, uh, tell us, Mike. Yeah, Mike, why, what's happening? Oh, I was going to... So what did you think was happening, Mike uh, of Mike and Daglio fame? I actually, to be to be frank, I did. I was kind of in invested in the story here and just kind of going along with it. But it was clear that whatever affected Kai was affecting the the Ennis as well. So let's find out. All right. At this, so we have at a... some sort of possession thing. Although I, I guess I was starting to put together that it had something to do with the punishment. So it was it was becoming clear. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, we do a quick moment uh, with O'Brien and Dax as they're following the trail. Um, not much really happens, just some technobabble nonsense. Back on the moon, we uh, find out that all of the dead are being reanimated by these biomechanical doodads. And Bashir wants to get to the runabout's computer uh, to get it up and running. And uh, we have a moment here. Shayla explains the deal about what's going on here. The Ennis and the Null Ennis wouldn't stop fighting. So their people marooned them on this moon to keep fighting forever. And they have been doing it for so long, they don't even remember what the fight is about anymore. And uh, Kira is like, you know what? My solution to all this is to teach you how to fight better. And <laughs> and uh, let's work on some tactics so we can be more lethal. And uh, we find out that they don't even care about protecting themselves anymore. Because no matter how many times they die, they will come back to life. So a couple of things confuse me here. I'll bring it up here. We can talk about it later. But the first being, 
Well, I mean, I guess I get the point, but it, he seems so, it seems so clear where he's like, we don't even know what we're fighting about anymore. And you would think that that's sort of the thesis of the whole GD thing. And that, mm-hmm. that would, he'd make some sort of connection there that like, why, why, why be keep fighting? So I guess that here, Mike thinks that's where the episode's going. It's interesting that it takes a left turn uh, from that kind of point. But um, yeah, anyway. But the, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that it takes a left turn. I mean, the more things happen, but I, it does feel like that's what this is about. Yeah. Uh, well, we might have. Yeah, maybe on a, on a surface level, but I think it goes. It cuts a couple of things deep. I think ultimately, well, I don't want to give it away. Well, All right. Well, so we'll, we'll keep bring, going. Bring it up. Why? What? What I think my left the left turn is when we get to the end. Okay. All right. Very good. So, uh, at the end of this, Cisco offers them a chance to leave the moon, uh, but only if they make peace with the Noel Ellis. And we Ennis? begin... Ennis? Ellis? Ennis? Ellis. Ennis? Ennis. The Ennis and the Noel Ennis. Guys, mark down. The first time Mike corrects Keith about Star Trek. That was it. Oh, my God! There it is! Wow! I can't believe I have been an I've been the uh, the nerd bully for so many years, and all of a sudden Mike <laughs> comes in with the hammer. He's he's on his tricorder tweeting about how I got something wrong Ellis, on Star who's Trek. This asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so we begin Act Four with O'Brien and Dax searching. They're having uh, trouble searching because the star puts up some radiation, that technobabble, technobabble. O'Brien solves it with, you guessed it, technobabble, magnetic technobabble. Uh, Point is, O'Brien's good at tech. And uh, we head back to the crashed runabout, and Bashir gets the computer working. And uh, Shalot announces that the Noel Ennis have agreed to meet up and discuss peace. Uh, Kira keeps trying to escalate and fight, and Opaka calls her on it. And Kira has this great monologue about the difficulty of a transition from a warrior to somebody in peacetime. Um, and uh, Kai pulls her ear and does some good therapy. And uh, So this is where Mike got confused for a hot minute, because... Mm-hmm. Kira clearly was experiencing something emotional and spiritual during this moment where I guess the Pope is laying hands on her. Right. But, you know, I'm new to this world, Keith. So all I know about ear massage is that it's sexual. So <laughs> so in this moment, in the watch-along, you'll notice that I am very confused because, oh God, God bless her, Kira's response is, uh, could be read a few ways. But, you know, it cleared up quickly. But for a split moment, I had you thoughts. You thought the Kai was giving Umox? <laughs> I did not think that for a minute. <laughs> but they could have made a different choice. Like, could their spiritual laying of hands been like a forehead touch or something? The ears seem to be oh very God. specific in Deep Space Nine. Wow. Wow. Hashtag Umox from the Kai. Mike and Deglio. <laughs> So, but no, I, in seriousness, I, I though, it. yeah, in seriousness, yeah. though, like, was she giving her a vision? Because she clearly no. made her seem, or she was just like kind of taking the pain from her a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I don't think there's anything supernatural or, or, or about. I think it is laying of hands, right? And we, and we, 
we see sort of see inferred and and we saw it in the pilot where the Kai mm. grabs Cisco's ear and in that moment is able to tell sort of who he is and I I don't really know like is there an implied uh, ability to read things sort of telepathic thing happening there or whether it is just a like a spiritual thing I don't know I I think this is a little ambiguous in the how the performance from Kira uh, I'm sorry, I keep I never pronounce the actress's name, and I never will. Then a visitor. Yeah, yeah, is seems to imply to me, just from watching, that something manifested, that something was like there was a physic, there was a transference of some of some sort that was happening in real time. And it's certainly possible. Although honestly, like a well-timed hug can get that reaction too. Fair. So Very it, fair. it 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 could be. But I don't she know, seems it's, to it's... realize in that moment that the. the the depth of the what she's held on to. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I wrote down what what Kai says here, and I think it's very wise and important to the characters. Uh, don't deny the violence inside you, Kira. Only when you accept it can you move beyond it. And uh, Kira says, "I've known nothing but violence since I was a child." And so I think that there's there's a lot of important stuff here. I mean, I I think just from a from a therapy standpoint, uh, it's it's you know, about accepting who you are, accepting the good and the bad, and and the the experiences that you've had and the mistakes that you've made, and you can't you can't really move past those things until you accept that it's a part of you and a part of the journey that you've been on, um, which is very wise and I think a really interesting um, thesis statement in this episode, but also finding out. A little bit more backstory, and we've in, we've inferred it a little bit about Kira's background, but this emotional connection to the fact that Kira has grown up in war, mm-hmm. in violence, and she's had an incredibly traumatic life up to this point, which has made her this warrior, which has made her this this incredibly tough person, being torn by the violence that she has experienced, violence that she has done, and why her transition to a peacetime is very difficult for her. Uh, you know, I think that another another small moment here, and, and we've talked about this a bunch, I think one of the things that makes this show stand out to me so far is that even amongst the very broad themes, even when they're powerful, there's small little subtle subtext and themes that aren't aren't fully colored in, but just enough, peppered in just enough to make a point. Like, in the very beginning, we see Kira being really offended and fired up about this report and how she's being perceived. And in here, right preceding this moment, the Kai says some things, and Kira says, "Well, how is it? She's really, she's really paranoid. Well, how is it that you're unperceived? How is it that you see me?" And that's when the Kai's like, basically, this whole this whole transference here is like, stop worrying about what other people think. Look inside and harness what you are in order to help others. That's kind of where we're going. And to let some of that yeah. go. Well, and, and Kira is stuck in this place of like, at the beginning, she's afraid that people won't see her as badass and tough enough and as dangerous enough. But underneath that is she's a, she says that she's afraid that the prophets won't forgive her for for what she has done and i it's it's deep and interesting and the kai says they're waiting for her to forgive herself mm. which um i mean god that's 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 important stuff that's deep stuff that's real human emotional stuff and i i really liked it 
Um, and I think Nana Visitor's performance in this scene particularly is just uh, Yes, and I think it, 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 it highlights the good decision they made to not make it humans the, the, the Bajorans be involved in this battle on the planet because it gives her an opportunity to make a decision. Do you want to be like them or do you want to be not like them? Yeah, yeah. Or move and, past and, that, I should say. Well, and, and, and her... You know, it, it's about accepting herself and her past, and and not letting you know. It's, I I wrote something else. I wrote like it, letting it inform her, but not define her. Mm. And and I think that that is you know the the difference is between Kira and the people on the planet is that they let that define them, and and can't ever get free of it. Spoiler alert. Um, at least in what we see. Anyway, it's great. I really love this scene. Really love. Um, I, 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 that, by far the best scene uh, in this episode. So, uh, spoiler alert for favorite scene. Um, uh, where are we go? So, back with O'Brien and Dax. Uh, guess what? They find the moon. And uh, so cool. Good, good to know. <laughs> we haven't seen showing that. It's important. You know, storytelling. Sometimes you just have to announce things. So, on the moon, the... Uh, the, they've decided to uh, the, the Ellis and the Noel Ennis and the Noel Ennis have decided to have a meeting, and the meeting is apparently right next to the wreckage of the shuttle, because that's the only open space that they had on the set. So let's just do it right there. Um, and uh, so, but uh, there are big fire sticks that were moved there with some sort of propane tanks hidden in the fog. Um, it's very elaborate for a meeting space. Like, mm-hmm. all right, let's get all of our fire sticks and set them up. Well, they realize, you know, they the like, episode's been very dark up to this point. We need a little more ambient light. We need a little light. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's probably when the, the director came in and saw all the footage. I'm like, I can't see anything. Get some fire sticks. The screen shards <laughs> in a podcast 20 years from now is going to be very, very dark. Very, very dark. It's it's bad. And you know that the uh, the guy running the rig is too lazy to get into Photoshop and brighten all these things. So that's, now, did uh, we have we already learned about the? Is didn't Bashir tell Ben about the thing before we have the meeting? Is that yes? We, okay. So as uh, this is exactly what I, my next thing I'm going to say is, despite the threat of major violence at the meeting, Bashir pulls Cisco aside five feet away from the. Uh, Yo, they're going to be dead the, anyway, man. We can't save them. Yeah, the battle that's about to happen. They're talking about how dangerous it's all going to be, and they're just like, hey, hold on, just take two steps this way before <laughs> all the shooting starts, and announce that uh, uh, the people are being reanimated by nanites. nanites. And uh, Bashir says that taking them off the moon would be a violation of the Prime Directive. Um, and uh, They would die, basically. They would die, yes. For uh, reals. For realsies. Um, I, I wrote that down somewhere. Anyway, the point being that, that yes, it, they can't take them off the moon because the moon is the creating the ability for the nanites to reanimate them. So if they leave the moon, they die. Uh, but they also talk, Bashir talks about the fact that if they take them off the moon, it's a violation of the Prime Directive, which uh, is the, the Federation's sort of non-interventionist ethos. And, uh, however, Cisco speechifies like Picard and offers them, so we don't, we don't know yet that going off the moon will kill them. So, uh, 
So before that happens, Cisco speechifies like Picard right. and offers them all a chance to get off of the moon. They naturally start bickering like they're in a Dr. Zeus book for no reason. Then the battle begins again. This is when Bashir saves Cisco and says they can't afford to die, not mm. even once, which is how we uh, get to Act 5. Yeah, I mean, like, there there is a bit of a Dr. Zeus Ellis, uh, Dr. Zeus element to this because it's sort of like the the great butter battle right the, dr. the ns dr. and the noel ellis dr seuss dr zeus dr seuss dr zeus i think it's z isn't it dr seuss zeus seuss dr seuss with an s okay well whatever uh ladies and gentlemen on the internet <laughs> did keith just say dr zeus <laughs> has keith gone his whole life not knowing it's Dr. Seuss? Please. Please ridicule in the comments. <laughs> you know, this is where I'm really glad that my mother does not watch this one. Because Ooh. my mother was a librarian. Dr. A children's Zeus. librarian. Here I'm thinking, I'm like, who the hell is Dr. Seuss? What is he talking? What is the analogy he's making? But then when you said better butter batter... But- Better butter battle. I was like, does he need Dr. Seuss? Clearly with an S? S E U S S? Anyway. Seussical the musical. Did you think it was Zeusical the musical? No. I. You know what it is? I, I, I'm sort of, it's halfway between Dr. Seuss and Dr. Zeus. Okay, that's fair. So I think that's, I think that's what's. We happened. should move on. You know, go to hell. So. Uh, 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 battle, battle, pew, pew, people die. Great moment, though. Uh, the, 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 moment I, the moment I really liked here was clearly Ben's offering them an opportunity to, to leave. And right. these two leaders can't get over themselves enough and they're to, to just go at each other. And what Ben says that I think is more powerful than anything else in the whole speech is he says, tell your leaders. That's the only way. You tell them you want them to get over their shit so that we can move forward. Like, it was a very political, non-political, political thing to say that, that yeah. actually, I thought, had big, bigger ramifications. Tell these two people to get over themselves. The ego of leadership, Yeah. the only way we can override that is by the people to speak up. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're putting some knowledge in there. Uh, but, uh, I mean, although, honestly, that scene, I thought, was bad. <laughs> you know the the leaders fight with each other it was so that could have been written so much better that was written like a third grade fight yeah. and i think it it could have been just it, it was a little on the nose it was a little cheesy it was it was not at the level of the great scene we just had with kira and uh and the kai and then you have like this very childish I won't trust you if I could throw you. You're a liar. And it's just like, well, and also, on. yes, because it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, it's almost as if this has happened a bunch of times, but clearly this is the first time someone off-world has entered the planet. So clearly something out extraordinary is happening. Why wouldn't you take this opportunity? Also because, and we'll talk about this later as sort of a, a nit to pick, clearly there are no consequences. Whether you die, you get shot, whatever happens, you come back to life. And this has been happening for a long time, if not millennia. So why not take the chance in trusting this dude if it could potentially save you? Because guess what? If it doesn't save you and you die, you got to come back. Well, and and it's also like the 
I understand that we're we're telling a fable, right? Yes. We're 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 telling a fable. It's a, a morality a play. Story, it's a whatever. Yeah. yeah, and but it's it's yes, it's a Zeusian story. <laughs> so that's that's the problem. Is that that part was written like a Doctor Seuss dialogue, as opposed to something that would happen in in real life, and that's where it gets a little heavy-handed with yep. the fable of it all. And I think there was just a more nuanced way to do that that would have been much more satisfying. Anyway, uh, so uh, boom, 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 battle, 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 everybody dies. That's a great screenshot. <laughs> so Act 5 begins. O'Brien and Dax get scanned you by know, the satellites. O'Brien just got back from Earth. He just got back. From, he was off the show for a little while because he was on Earth, Earthing. And he's already got to, like, go rescue somebody. I mean, God, doesn't the man get a rest? No. O'Brien? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, As we move forward, one of the tropes of Deep Space Nine is the misery of Chief O'Brien. He's always coming out of a hole, sweating, with no help, and he's like, oh, God, I got to fix this guy. You have no idea the... (laughs) extended misery that O'Brien is going to go through for seven seasons. Cool. So buckle up, kids. <laughs> uh, they get scanned by the satellites, but O'Brien's all over it. This whole subplot's starting to feel like filler. Uh, but if we can the, uh, reverse surface. the tubey tubes and send out a bingy bong, we can subvert the subverter and get down on there with Keith. Right, and I'll talk about it in the when I get to the uh, subspace stem or self-stealing stem bolts, but like uh, that whole plot line was unnecessary. Um, so on the surface, now this is where Bashir explains that the nanite microbes keeping them alive won't work off the moon. So anybody who can't, who's got them in there, can't leave the moon without dying, and this will apply to the Kai. So uh, O'Brien makes contact. They can't beam up yet because of the satellites, but they're going to work on it. And this is where we find out that the Kai announces she's going to stay on the moon and try to bring peace. And that this is what the prophecy called her to do. Which is very convenient um, because she doesn't have to leave. There's no second morning. She's already... It's, it's great. It works out for everybody. Well, and she can't leave. She can't yeah, leave she anyway. She doesn't need to know that. We don't need to let her know that. That, I suppose that's true. It's more noble if she doesn't. So uh, O'Brien continues technobabbling a solution. Um, and it's all O'Brien. Apparently, like, Dax is no longer a brilliant scientist in this yeah. in this uh, episode because, like, she's like, huh. And then O'Brien's like, blah, 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 technobabble, technobabble. She's like, oh, that's a good idea. Like, sure. meanwhile, like, Dax is a genius. Dax could have been much more helpful. I don't, this is Maybe like she a. She just wanted to make him feel good. And that's probably she probably had the whole plan out the whole time, and she's yeah, make, yeah, that good that job, definitely buddy. makes sense. Well done, yeah, good job, O'Brien. So back on the surface, Bashir explains to Shella that they're stuck there, but he has an idea to alter the microbes to not regenerate them and thus make death permanent for the prisoners. Uh, Mike is still shitty. He just wants to kill his en- his enemy, and they decide not to do it. Uh, so O'Brien's plan naturally works, and they beam the three survivors aboard. So they basically leaving... decide they deserve this punishment. That's yeah, what es- sort of happens at that moment. They're like, oh, well, yeah. guess what? I guess you reap what you sow, buddy. And and it's like, it 
and again, this is the part that felt so like on the nose, right? It's like, okay, we have an opportunity here to make death permanent for everybody so that there are stakes again. And he's like, uh, I just wanted to kill the Noel Ennis because that's all I care about. And I've been doing this for 10,000 years, but who cares? That's all I care about. It's, it's just like, it's so... It's fa- it's a fable. It's a fable. It's it's butter battle. And, and see, it doesn't bother as much because it, it it actually is what I think the episode was more about. Like whereas you, I think you your fable, I think you ride the sort of war is ongoing wars that we know at least in human perpetual civilization war. perpetual yeah. war becomes so defeatist that you don't even know what you're fighting about anymore. And that's but I think it's more about the ego of leadership that this they can't mm. they're so about their and themselves. That 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 they are they are the cause of these that the leadership is continues these perpetual wars. So I thought it was it makes sense that it's yes is it a little is it a little on the nose is it a little uh, obtuse? Uh, yes, but I think that's sort of the point. So it didn't bother me as much. But no, I, I mean it's definitely the point, and and I I think I think you're right. I think it's both right. I think it's it's the sort of like being yes, stuck in in your in your your ego. Whether you're the leader, whether you're not the leader, your ego prevents you from being able to get out of the cycle of war. It's just, it's painted with such a, they told that part of the story at like a third grade level. Mm -hmm. And we could have elevated that a little bit and told that, that's exact same story. The inevitable, like, it it was just sort of written uh, at the third grade level. Anyway, so... uh, so, uh, O'Brien, guess what? O'Brien's plan works. Huzzah! And they beam the three survivors aboard, leaving the Ennis and the Null Ennis to keep killing each other forever. However, Opaka says goodbye. It says, I'm going to stay here and try to keep the, make these dum-dums get over this. Uh, but, but, I the last a, thing, but I signed a multi-episode deal, is what she says. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, she's, she's had two now. She says, uh, goodbye! But says Cisco, our paws will meet again. Now, of course, pa being the, uh, the Bajoran concept of soul. So uh, there it is. That's not on your vocab quiz, but it might be later. So, Mike, write it down. Okay. What that is. So there we are. They beam away, leaving the Kai there to deal with the dum dums. So uh, that is. Battle lines. Now, uh, why don't we uh, hop in to our quiz room and do some? And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek vocabulary quiz. Your first term is Mike. What is a subspace signal? Yeah, you keep it's signal uh, in space, but it's just sub. Space, you know what I mean? It's like it's kind of like it's kind of like hidden in there, and like it's it kind of fools some people, and you really gotta like do a doodad within a doodad in order to even pick it up. You know what I mean? Inaccurate, inaccurate, data in error. I mean, you're sort of right, you're sort of not right. It's somehow. Using subspace, they can take signals past the speed of light. It's mm. a little bit vague. Uh, we might get into it a little bit later. So, your next question is, what is, you guessed it, 
a warp eddy. Well, you know, that's like when, um, you know, like you're going to see a movie in space, right? And you like, it, you know, it's going to be bad. So you need to take like an edible. It's like a weed edible, but mm -hmm. you like take it right before you get in the warp thing so that like it makes you feel really effed up. So it's like a warp edible. That was terrible. Yeah, it wasn't even. I don't know. Was, you know, they can't all be winners, man. They can't all be winners. It is the the wake left behind in a warp drive, like an eddy in a current. Okay. And so they're able to sort of track it as if you were tracking a current in the in the ocean. Cool. So there you are. There is your Star Trek vocab quiz. You know what it's time for. Keith, it's could it time possibly to... be time for the come along home? Okay, our first category is uh, Mike. Did you find any? Wormholes in the plot. Yeah, there are a couple of things stuck in my crawl, Keith. A couple of things. Mm. So here we go. Number one. So they make it very clear that, like, we don't even defend the fortress anymore because we just come back to life, right? Mm -hmm. So why is the first plot point, he says to, to Ben and Bashir, fix my people up and then I'll, we'll, well, we won't kill you or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. When clearly he knows that people don't need to be fixed up, is it just that he doesn't want them to suffer, perhaps? But it seems it seems bizarre. Yeah, I I think that's I think you're right. I wrote that down as well. Um, I I think it's they're clearly pained by the suffering because they're they're referencing they have other people at their home base that they're trying to protect, which means like did they put civilians on this planet to kill each other it's sort mm. of odd and they're they're like we're angry about how you've treated us and how like the i, I think the bigger wormhole is like what's the machinations what is, of this what is the machinations of this and like why are they like they're they're fighting and they're battling but it's not real like they're trying to avoid the pain for everybody it's it's a little bit murky yeah, because because, but okay, and and yes, we could you can explain it away, right? But it's more the like logistical details, and I'll, I'll point another one out. So, so even if you could explain that one away, here's the other one. Okay, so we've had we had two big pew pews, right? Uh, right. Two big battles between the two sides where people die and then are resurrected ish. But what you never see is obviously it's not that you when during a battle you don't just have one side onslaught the other, right? There's casualties on both sides. Right. But when the people come back to life, it's like one side coming back to life. What happened? Wouldn't wouldn't it be that we all die? People from both sides die, then they resurrect, and then they continue fighting. It would be a perpetual battle. But it seems like <laughs> right. they all come back to life, and then oh wait, poof! The the bad bad guys or good guys or whatever are gone all of a sudden. Right, it's just our they side. They're like, walk up like good game, good game, good and game, then they and then they go off. back. And they yeah, come back. It, that seems really weird to me. Yeah, I mean, I I think that they. They make some effort to pull their bodies off to the other side, but at, you know, at some point, like, what's the point of doing that? Yeah. Like, and I, 
And also, like, have we have we investigated what happens when you like decapitate somebody and like scatter their parts lots of yeah. different places? Yeah, there's just like, a lot of shortcuts taken in the explanation of like, oh, we can't die. Cool. Now, on that same line, my last nit to pick is okay. Let's say we let all that go. Um, and let's say that all of it is true and the prime direct, all that is stuff of stuff. But in the very beginning, uh, I think Bashir very astutely points out, hey, if there is something causing people to be able to come back to life, to reanimate, that is technology that would be beneficial that we should study. That's why he wants to get back to the mm-hmm. ship. He wants to figure this all this out. Regardless of the fact that it can't exist outside off planet, it still exists. These nitrates or nanites or whatever the hell it is are real. And at the end, when we decide to beam off, there's no even conversation about like, hey, should we take a few with us just to like ex- to just explore and to study? This could be really important. We can bring shit back to life. Nah, just right. beam us out. We gone. Yeah, we're not going to pay much attention to it. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 right. And uh, I, I don't have any nanites in me, but Lord knows I've got some nitrates in me. Uh, is that what but, it is? <laughs> it's nanites. Nitrates are water and hot dogs. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. It's probably going to be my lunch. Uh, I do not but... like new na- nanites and ham. I do not like them, Keith. I am. Great Zeus. Great Zeus. <laughs> a famous Zeus. <laughs> Keith, we oh have a perpetual God. battle that clearly... We, we do. <laughs> we have been, uh, like, you know, slow down low battling each other yeah. with uh, with nerd bullying for years. 20 years we have been Too many. Doing that. Too many years. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's, it, it really is the, uh, really shorthand logic of what's happening on this planet. And I get it. it that's not what it's about. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, it's a fable. It's a morality play, whatever, whatever. It's just, it could be so much better if they fleshed that out just a hair. And the only other sort of nit I will pick on that is like the first thing Mike says is we don't use energy weapons. And then pew pew, everyone is using energy weapons immediately, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't quite understand. So uh, also, like, how are they continuing to, to get energy for them? Because apparently they have like fire sticks and nothing else. What's their food source? What's their energy source? Uh, whatever. Not important. So uh, let us move now. Also, to... like, sorry, if we're doing yeah. it, we're doing it. So I assume that like all of the people clearly on this planet aren't of these two tribes, right? These must be very. These are everybody else must be evolved and past it because they only sent these people, and it seems like a relatively small group of people that they off-worlded as punishment. So it, it seems like it, yeah. It seems like they like they had this war brewing on that planet, and they're like, you know what? Screw it. We're just gonna beam you up and go, you know. And and there's there's certain long term battles here that feel like that'd be a good way to handle it. Yeah, I get, <laughs> you, know? you know what? Yeah, that's fair. Okay. So, yeah, it's like uh, yeah. So there it is. So let us move forward to our best moment of the episode. Uh, I've already spoiled alert mine, Mike. What's your favorite moment? Yeah, I actually think I'll let you have yours. Then I, I think that the moments with Kira are 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 special, and I think they win. But I'll point out another one since I think you're going to talk about it more at length. I actually think, regardless of the of the shorthand and all of that, that the last moment is a good summary. There's all the shorthand that takes place, but there's a good summary at the end when. You know, Ben offers them their second chance. Obviously, he can't save them, but you can have, we can let you die, right? Yeah. So the torture is that you keep, 
having you're being forced to to resume this battle. We're going to give you a chance to just end your lives respectfully with dignity. And still, despite chance after chance and an opportunity to give uh, grace and dignity to your people, all people, even your enemies, but especially your people, to let them just die and end this suffering, you can't get over yourself enough or your bloodthirst enough to even allow that. And I think that that is dem- basically summarizes the the morality play, the fable of the episode very well in that moment. It's a great, epi- it's a great uh, performance by Mike and uh, Ben, and it sort of highlights and underscores the choice that Kira was given and the opportunity Kira was given to kind of evolve and to move forward instead of getting stuck. And I thought it was cool because they didn't just stick with the, we can't get you off the planet, so it's not going to work out. I thought they gave they they were able to find a more nuanced, if still not a little on the nose, but a little nuanced opportunity yeah. to tell their tale. So I thought that was a great way to end the episode. Yeah, and I, I you're, I I think you're right, and it's it's interesting because like it's, it's about obviously war is hell, right? And we all know that war is hell, and these these battles, and it's about how often, you know, and 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 they describe it. Like, we're living in hell. This is hell for us. And how often we still choose to do it. We still choose hell. We, ch- we choose to live and exist in that in, and um, endlessly. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that is, you know, one of the curses of our species is how often we choose to live in hell um, and, uh, and to stay and to stay there. So, um, yeah, you know, for me, the favorite moment, obviously the the moment between Kira and and the Kai uh about Kira trying to learn to forgive herself for what she went through for the hell that she didn't choose and how she can forgive herself enough to stop choosing hell mm-hmm. um and I think that that's a it's a very interesting way to uh tell that story I think it was very important for the character of Kira and um and it's funny like a lot of people and, and we can uh, we can transition into our what is our self-sealing stem bolts? Uh, because I think this is an interesting uh, thing to say about this episode and why a lot of people say, you know what, skip the first two seasons of Deep Space Nine, just oh, hop no. into season three, right? Okay. And I think that... What you kind know, of a podcast even like, would do that? I, that'd be crazy. Well, we're not going to do that. But... Uh, in these episodes, which a lot of people would consider skippable right and uh you know if i'm doing a, a casual rewatch of deep space nine i'm probably going to skip this episode right this is not going to be one that i'm like oh i can't wait to watch that one again but sometimes tucked in what is ostensibly not a great episode are these incredibly important character moments mm-hmm. and character beats and i think this is an incredibly important character beat for kira um and i think it's you know, a lot of this episode probably is skippable, but Kira's arc in this is not. So before I give my stem bolts, Mike, you go first. You know, I really actually enjoyed it quite a bit. I I, I see your criticisms that it's a little, that we don't really it doesn't do as good a job as it generally does in the more nuance of the plot points and an interesting take. It doesn't go as deep as generally we do. What I love about the show, I talked about it up top, is usually we have a major major thesis and then we sort of drill down into it a little bit and there aren't always answers. In this one, 
like you said, I think the shortcuts in the writing and in the execution are a little bit more glaring because they're juxtaposed with better episodes even this far in. But that said, the major ideas here are still pretty interesting the way they're explored. I hate that a lot of the science, which we love about science fiction, gets shoved to the side here. Like, why don't we exper- Like, we figure out about the nanites, but we don't actually explore them or want to explore them. Uh, but like you said, the emotional beats are interesting. What I find interesting about the other thing that's weird is that it's all about war and battle, but the actual harms, the stakes of the harm of our crew never feel never feel heightened. I never feel like they're in danger. Like, as you've mentioned, when there's the big battles brewing, they're always just having a conversation off to the side. It never feels like O'Brien and Dax are not going to find them. It never feels right. like there's any real... It's And they never feel in danger. It all becomes about the the battle taking place on the planet, which I find interesting. For for a show that is, loves to set a ticking clock and high stakes for our crew, it doesn't feel it so much this episode. That said, uh, I still find the performances were really good across the board, even from our extras and from our guest stars. So it's not bad in any way. I had a good time. But I don't think it rises above, let's say, 6.75 self-sealing stem bolts. 67 oh, yeah, sorry. stem bolts. We really should have unified our metrics. Man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Uh, I think, I think th- this is a ostensibly for me a bad episode with a couple of really good moments mm-hmm. um you know I, I sometimes when i'm when i'm reviewing an episode i'll i'll think about it from the standpoint of our character development and the specificity of the show and i think about this episode if you excise kira's arc this could be an episode of next generation could be an episode of the original series, could be an episode of anything, um, because nothing other than the Kira part is specific to Deep Space Nine. It doesn't have anything to do with, you know, the wormhole, it doesn't matter. You find this moon in space, could be Next mm-hmm. Generation. You know, uh, Cisco's part could easily be Picard, could easily be Kirk. Um, you know, the doctor is the doctor, the engineer is, it doesn't really matter. It's not really specific to our world or to our characters like it it could very easily be a plot they recycled that just didn't get made in next generation cut to next week mm. uh so uh yeah it's and i also feel like the the dax o'brien part was wildly unnecessary nothing about that told us anything about the characters it didn't really help the plot at all i feel it would have been much more interesting and and would have added sort of a sense of stakes and danger for our heroes if we stayed there and we didn't know if rescue was coming you know because as an audience we know that the rescue is on its way right from the very beginning and so for our heroes on the planet, they don't know that. But even there, they're like, yeah, you know, they'll be here in a couple of days. And like mm-hmm. we, we know that we already. And so, again, it lowers the stakes, both of the violence that's happening, which are not taking seriously, but also like what happens if no one finds us? Mm-hmm. And, and the emotional stakes of that, I think, would have elevated all of this. Right, because without peril, there's no reason – I mean, obviously it would be a shitty ep- shittier episode, but there's no reason not to have this all take place – on the screen like they hail 
and we're just kind of talking to them, right? Like, can yeah. beam us off, and we, we kind of do it all from a distance. Having us there, aside from being on set and being cool location, like, without the peril... It's a, it's it's a better episode, and yeah. there there's an there's an episode coming up of Deep Space Nine which does do it that way without knowing if rescue's coming and without and uh, it's called the climb which no not the climb uh, that's the Voyager episode well whatever it is but it's a great Isn't episode that a Josh where Josh Groban like, song it is also a Josh Groban song uh, anyway it, it's just like I I feel like it was this is sort of written old school it's just not as well constructed as I want it to be okay um, and so. Yeah, so it's it's not an episode that I like, right? I don't. I, I have no interest in seeing this episode again, except for the Kira parts. If you just like give me like a four minute supercut of Kira's arc here, I can skip the rest of it. That's sort of how I feel about it. So uh, yeah, you're gonna get uh, sixty one self sealing stem bolts from me, which uh, means it's time to tee up next week. Next week we are doing. The Storyteller, which okay. uh, I, I'm, you know, I usually will qualify what how the episode is going to be. I think it's better for Mike if I don't qualify at all what uh, is what this episode is going to be, whether it's going to be good or whether it's going to be bad. But you folks at home, you know what I mean. It's The Storyteller. Uh, we will be talking about right here next week. Uh, and uh, for those of you on our Patreon at patreon.com slash K&M. Perhaps before we even record this, it will be up there. You can watch Mike watch the storyteller and uh, get a sense of what he's thinking, which will be really fun. You can also, we'll have an AMA. We're going to have some watch along. We're going to have lots of bonus stuff. And uh, watch... Uh, the missing episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek The Wrath of Neener, starring 12-year-old yours truly. You don't want to miss it. Uh, so check it out, patreon.com slash K&M. Uh, yeah, that's it. Mike, any final thoughts? Nope, always a pleasure. Thanks for your support. Those of you on the Patreon and those of you just watching on YouTube helps. We appreciate it. We're having a blast. Hope you are too. That's about all I have to say. Until next week, Keith. This has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Thank Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM. <laughs>